I'll mention this again, but look, we, we want to be praying for the folks in Orlando, Florida. That was a horrible, horrible incident last night uh, where so many were killed. It just points to the, the, the nature of our times. These are difficult times, and they're extremely difficult days in which to raise children. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, look, at least the doctors who are delivering the babies make sure the babies are breathing before they say, PC or Mac? I mean, that's a ridiculous question anyway. I'm a PC guy, but about 90% of kids are saying Mac, so you can see what a difficult world we, we live in in this day. One of the difficulties of raising children is knowing how to discipline them. Some even question, should you discipline? Guide, instruct, but should you discipline your children? Some are willing to spank just as their parents spank them. Others look at any form of corporal punishment as violence. I'm not going to criticize you by any means if you do not spank your children. There are lots of people who don't spank their children and have great Kids, they do a fine job disciplining them. But in light of all that the scripture says about not sparing the rod, I would caution you against judging those who do choose to spank their children as a disciplinary tool. You remember the kind of things that your parents said uh, when they disciplined you? I mean, anyone have parents say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Look, I, I'm, I'm cruel. I used to say to my kids, this is going to hurt you worse than it's going to hurt. No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, this is for your own good. That's probably true. Uh, many of us remember comments like, I- I'm going to give you something to cry about in a minute if you don't be quiet. Or if you don't get a switch big enough, I'm going to go out and pick one for you. Look, I talked to the staff. I mentioned this to the staff the other day. Keisha Culber was rattling them off. I'm telling you, that girl had a tough childhood, apparently. She knows them all. In the text that we're going to read today, Hebrews 12, verses 3 to 11, we're going to be told what we all know. No earthly father or mother, for that matter, disciplines perfectly. None. But if children know that their parents love them and that they discipline them for their own good, they rarely regret it when they're older. In fact, they deem to do the same thing their parents did for them lovingly for their own children. They'll agree that the discipline was good for them at the time. Here's a statement that you will most likely agree with intellectually, but but may find difficult to accept viscerally. Our Heavenly Father's discipline is always perfect. It's possible now that when you think of discipline, you think of corrective discipline only. But a great deal of our Heavenly Father's discipline is instructive in the same way that you instruct your kids. When you say, you discipline them, when you say, you have to clean your room before you go outside to play. That's part of the deal. You have to understand that this is important. Hearing a sermon on discipline might feel a lot like going to the doctor for a shot. I mean, it's not what you want, but hopefully you recognize it as a necessary step for a healthy life. 
And since Hebrews was written as a sermon, I could simply read this text. And you would have heard an outstanding sermon on discipline. This is exactly the way the gentleman who wrote Hebrews, we don't know who he was. I know a lot of you think it was Paul. We don't know. Go back to all the way to the first and hear that explanation. We don't know who it was, but whoever he was preached an outstanding sermon on discipline. But my responsibility goes just a little beyond uh, reading the text. As I read, though, I want you to listen at a deeper level as if it's more than a, simply a necessary step to getting to the meat of the message. Let the Lord Speak to you, preach to you as his word is read. And as is our custom, I'll ask you to stand if you would. As I read Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to begin in verse 1 for context where we picked up a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you don't have verse 1. I guess there it is. Thank you. I thought surely I had not put it in there, but it's in there. Now concerning, oh my goodness, I'm in 1 Corinthians 12. Let me just put that aside. Now concerning old age. (laughs) Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. This is Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Father... We recognize that all that comes from your hand is good. It is painful at times. And Lord, as we talk about difficulties and hardships that go far beyond corrective punishment for the things that we have done, but are meant and and designed 
for our training in righteousness. We pray that our hearts would be open to receive your love. And that we would respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, the Calverts and the Tallies are back on the wedding circuit this summer. Uh, we have just returned from our second wedding in two weeks. Last week it was Lynchburg. This week it was in uh, at, at right off on the banks of Bogue Shore where we had 130 mile an hour winds, I think, blowing. I'm surprised that all of you made it back. Some of you I thought would have been blown away, but a lot of you were there for Matt and Andrea's wedding last weekend and then Sean, Scooter and Melissa's the week before. I wanted to say Sean and Melissa. This cross uh, was made by Melissa Messier's uh, father. Uh, it's now Melissa, Melissa Oliver. I'm getting my M's mixed up. Melissa Oliver, her dad made that cross and, and said, I wonder if there's a place for that. And, of course, we found a, a beautiful place. It was a beautiful time. So some of you have been at one of those two weddings and there is such delight when two people decide to come together in God's design for husband and wife to be one flesh and to be this beautiful picture of Christ and the church. But in between these two weekends of joy that Allison and I have shared uh, with these two couples, we have received one piece of difficult news after another. Broken bodies, broken marriages, broken families. You don't have to look beyond Orlando, Florida to know Florida to know just how broken our world is, but it is broken everywhere. It doesn't matter if you are one of those half full glasses glass or a half empty glass kind of person. Life is difficult. And at times it can be absolutely devastating. Some of the hardships that we endure are, are of our own making, but there are so many things that come into our lives and that touch us in a negative way or a painful way that have nothing to do with our own sin. It's just because of the broken world. I'm not sure if it will be an encouragement to you initially or discouraging to say, that all difficulties in this life have their origin in the loving hand of our Heavenly Father. There's no doubt that Satan hates us and throws everything that he can to us. But the operative thought there is that Satan throws everything he is allowed to throw toward us. Nothing happens to us that did not first pass through the Father's will and decision. And his loving hand. No matter how painful it may seem. No matter how much the result may be of ungodly, ungodly intent from others. It came through God's hands. That is why Paul, when he talked about there was given to me. In order to keep me from being overly proud. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And I prayed to the Father three times to remove it. Yes, it came from Satan, but God was in charge. He said, God, would you please take this away? And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul received that. 
And God's comfort and grace resulted in Paul rejoicing, even in the trials, knowing that God's good purposes were being worked out in his life. He also realized that when he was weak, Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong in Christ. And broken vessels oftentimes show the light of Christ the most clearly. There is much the same focus in our text. Difficulties are directed by God for his glory and for our good. Hebrews was written to a persecuted to, to a group of persecuted believers, and they were all thinking about, or many of them were thinking about walking away in order to avoid persecution. I can imagine that many of us would have been thinking the same thing. And the writer of Hebrews was saying, hang in there, don't walk away. In order to provide a little uh, structure for the truth found in this passage, we're going to talk about three exhortations that are given, beginning with always Consider difficulties in light of the cross. Maybe one of the most remarkable features of our culture today is the speed with which we will accuse others who say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And yet, at the same time, there is this unbending resolve to never admit that you're wrong about anything. Never accept any responsibility for any attitude, any wrong, any action that we have done personally. But there's some sense in which we get why people are so slow to accept responsibility. Because if you mess up in our culture today, there's almost no coming back. Whether you were wrong or not, people are going to brand you and it's, you're, it's over for you. No matter whether you repent, whether you acknowledge any sin, whether you're right or wrong. If people say you're wrong, you're wrong. There are quite a few instances in Scripture. but In both the Old and New Testaments where more than a few men and women who were persecuted for their faith were given the bouts of self-pity. I get that. I imagine some of you understand as well. I mean, surely the first ones to hear this sermon were feeling sorry for themselves. But instead of indulging their self-pity, the pastor pointed them to Jesus. Verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, first... Blush, this might seem like a backhanded compliment. You know, one of those compliments that people give you sometimes. And there's tr it's true that the author is saying in a sense, wait a minute, did I miss? I don't think I see any blood on you. I don't see that you've suffered like a lot of people have suffered, so quit whining. But really, this was just his way of saying, no one will ever Suffer like Jesus did. It's quite surprising, is it not, how lonely you can feel in a trial? You may have the most supportive, staff in, uh, su uh, supportive spouse in the world. You may have an incredible family backing you, friends like nobody's ever had friends. You may have the best home group in the history of all home groups in the, in the world. 
and yet you feel alone. Just think of how difficult it is for husband and wife when they lose a child. It's difficult to stay together sometimes just because there's loneliness in trial. We just feel alone when intense pain is part of our existence. But the writer is saying essentially, no one will ever be alone like Jesus was alone. He suffered this loneliness at a level that you will never have to worry about. He endured utter loneliness in his crucifixion. Jesus was mocked and tortured by the ones he created. He was betrayed and abandoned by his closest companions and followers. And worst of all, he was utterly forsaken by the Father. For my sin. Because of your sin. It's not so much that the Lord is saying here. Suck it up and be a man. Although there's a tinge of that. But ultimately he's saying look to Jesus where you will find courage. In his sacrifice. Always consider difficulties in light of the cross. The Greek word consider means to reason with careful deliberation. You know, I, I, I think that most of us tend to think about the cross in that way. When times are good. When we're in a good place. When we've recently been saved. <coughs> we're eager to follow Jesus to the death if necessary. Bring it on. I can handle anything. We're willing to die to ourselves and serve others at any cost. Or when you've gone through an especially good stretch of life, when things are just good, it's easy to say, oh, consider the cross of Jesus, how much he suffered for us. The writer of Hebrews is telling his beleaguered readers in their pain. When you were tempted to either turn inward or to just go run it off in every direction, he says, sit down. Look at the cross. Contemplate what Jesus in his passion or in his suffering for sinners did and how he suffered at the hands of sinners. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? I want to... Just give you an opportunity to contemplate the cross of Christ. I doubt that many of you are facing intense persecution because of your faith. It's unlikely that the federal agents are going to come to your home tonight and take you away from your family with plans to execute you tomorrow. But that doesn't mean you're not hurting <laughs> Some of you are facing intense sorrow. Look at the cross. All the sin and the suffering and the sorrow of the world was on Jesus at the moment he was on the cross. Why? Because of his intense love for you. 
He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. The joy that he believed in his worst moment. The joy that included the Father's great glory and eternity with you. Consider him on the cross. Amen. Second, consider the importance of making sure that you do not mistake God's discipline for his disappointment with you. Immediately after being told to consider Jesus in our trials, the persecuted believers were informed that their trials were part of God's discipline. Now, the first question that comes to our mind when we say, okay, God was disciplining them, what did they do? What did they do? I mean, we are naturally inclined to think that, aren't we? I mean, since we have a longing for justice, we often interpret anything that goes wrong in our lives as punishment for something that we have done. I can't, I can't believe. I remember when I was just... And really young man, ridiculously young, to be director of TVR. But the Lord had just led it that way. And I said, hey, can I speak to you for a moment? And they said, did I do something wrong? I, I mean, that was the funniest thing to me. It's hilarious. It's still hilarious. And you say that when I say, hey, can I see you for a second? Did I do something? What is it, what, what is it with us that, that we're that way? That we just automatically assume that anything bad that happens to us is a result of punishment for something that we have done. It's it's far more Hindu than Christian to say what goes around comes around. I, I recognize that the scripture says very clearly we will reap what we sow. But God is merciful and gracious And what goes around doesn't necessarily come around. It stopped at the cross. A lot of it. And a lot of God's discipline is not corrective. It's instructive. No doubt there's the corrective there. But the Father's discipline is so much deeper than punishing you for what you've done. The text says it far better than I. So let's read verses 5 to 8. And if you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Discipline reproved. For the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father Does not discipline. If you were left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. There are multiple implications in this text. First of all, the persecution that these believers were receiving was considered to be the method of the Lord's discipline that He had chosen to mold them into the image of Christ. There is no Indication that they're being called out for a specific sin. But rather, they were being disciplined through persecution. 
It's the kind of discipline you provide for your children when you make them do the hard things like sitting respectfully at the table while you catch up with the boring aunt and uncle. And you make them sit there and be respectful, not on their phones, not rolling their eyes, whatever. Or it's like you making them take their dishes from the table after a meal and clean the area around where they were eating. That's all part of discipline. All children that are loved are disciplined by their parents. That's why the author of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. You know, we sit right at the very beginning of this study of Hebrews. Hebrews helps us understand how the Bible works, maybe better than any book of the Bible. It certainly takes us everywhere in Scripture. Even when it's not given a direct quote, it's referring oftentimes or alluding to Old Testament uh, Scripture. All parents who discipline their children, um, all parents who love their children. Let me rephrase that. I've got it written the other way. All parents who love their children will discipline them. And since God loves us, we are blessed when he disciplines us. Proverbs 13, 24 goes so far to say that if we don't discipline our children, we hate them. The connection between a loving father and the discipline of children is not the main point that the author is making. Because it was assumed. It was just understood. Everybody understood. This is the way it is. It's not always assumed to be that way in our day. The responsibility is for the father to discipline his children. Fathers, Old and New Testament alike, put the responsibility of the development on children's character on you. Now, the mom is the one who spends more time with the children. But you are responsible, fathers, to discipline your children, and you're responsible for the development of their character. Exodus 12, 26, Exodus 13, 14, Deuteronomy 6, 7, all through Proverbs, Ephesians 6, 4, Colossians 3, 21. It's all over Scripture. Fathers are responsible for the discipline of their children. So please, please don't be that father who is distracted at a table in, in a restaurant while your wife is trying frantically to keep your family from being thrown out of the joint. And look... Don't be patient to the point that sooner or later you will grab them with a death grip, pull them centimeters from your face. Discipline firmly and you won't have to be angry. Look, I struggle with this just like all of you struggle with this. People say don't discipline your children in anger. Ah. <laughs> uh, we do, but if you're firm, and if you're consistent, and that is miserably difficult to do, especially in our day. But if you're firm, and if you're consistent, it's unlikely that you will get angry. The kind of angry that is really unattractive. That's not the way the Lord disciplines us. He disciplines firmly but gently, with deep love. I know that all of you feel that you're doing the best you can. And listen, all children are different. I recognize that. You can have six children, and one of those kids is going to be a great challenge. 
Okay, so there's only one family that has six children, huh? <laughs> and the challenge is not amongst the kids, let's just say. <laughs> Why did you assume I was saying you, Chad? I might have been meaning Sarah. <laughs> it just came out. I didn't have six kids written down here. It just, it just came out. Look, a lot of you are working on six kids, so shut up. I might be talking to <laughs> you. Here's the deal. Take your cues about disciplining your children from Scripture rather from culture. If you're in middle school or high school, you may think that your parents' discipline comes with a heavy hand. It's too heavy, in fact. Do you know why they discipline you? You know what I'm going to say before I say it. They do so because they love you. I know that they're human and they don't want to be embarrassed, and so sometimes that's why they do it. Parents, once again, don't do that. Don't make the mistake of ever communicating disappointment with your child when you're disciplining. Look, I, this is just a personal thing. If you ever hear me say, I'm just, I, I'm just disappointed in you. I just don't even know that I could bring myself to say it. I know that I say the same thing in different ways. But who am I to be disappointed with you? Parents, don't communicate disappointment with your children. And don't expect that when hard things are happening to you that God is disappointed with you. Look, as far as kids, loving kids equally. Do not ever, ever, ever say in their hearing, out of their hearing, oh, this one, you know, I love these, but this one, oh. You can't do that. You have to love. How would you like to be the one that the Heavenly Father's telling? Hey, angels, come here. That guy there, you know, whew, I don't know what I was thinking when I created him. One of the reasons children act out is to receive attention from their parents, even if it results in discipline. Our children may sense disappointment from us because we are human after all. But God the Father always sees us through Jesus. So his discipline is always meted out for our good. It's the same vein as in Hebrews 5, 8 that we studied some time ago. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. Talking about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. What does that mean? I don't know for sure. If you want to have at least some explanation, go back find that sermon from Hebrews 5. It's enough to say this, that when you as a believer suffer in any number of ways, God's love is focused fully on you. doesn't feel like it, but that's what you're called to believe. The challenge for application is in the final point. Embrace the sweet fruit that God is building into your life through hardship. And you probably think I'm crazy, but summer is my least favorite season of the year. There's a lot not to like about summer, like snakes <laughs> and spiders and baseball. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
Somebody's going to have about a 93 mile an hour in my head after that. There's just a lot. High heat, humidity. I mean, who's excited about 95 and humidity today? Huh? Anybody? Ushers, please take note of these people. We want to keep an eye on them. But look, there's a lot to like about summer, isn't there? I mean, extended sunlight, cookouts, the fantasy of lazy days that never seem to materialize, but there's always the hope that they may break out at any time. It's just going to be, you just sort of feel more relaxed in the summer, even when you're not. Uh, Maybe the best thing about summer, though, and I love, love, love this, is fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, Bob and Trudy Terraberry gave us some nice zucchinis from their neighbor's garden. They've got a whole bunch more back there. I was afraid they had pillows and blankets in that bag, but it turns out that it's fresh fruit and vegetables. And so uh, follow their example anytime you feel like you know, doing that. If you want to, just bring it. This is not the kind of country church where there's too much fruit and vegetables. But, I mean, I could, look, I could just go into a daze thinking about sweet cantaloupe and juicy watermelon. I love this time of year for fruit and vegetables. Have you ever bought asparagus in February? Not, not a good idea. Difficulties, trials, hardship, these are all part of the Father's loving discipline in our lives. We'll come back to that analogy in a minute. His discipline is corrective in nature, but it's also instructive as he molds us more and more into the image of Christ, who also allowed his father's hand to mold him through suffering. That just blows my mind. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. The temptation for us, of course, is to reject the father's discipline and to react with resentment and bitterness. How could God do this to me? How can he love me? And let this happen in my life. Remember, we've just finished Hebrews 11. We live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Even so, we have this earthly analogy to point our hearts toward a God who loves us deeply. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. In other words, wasn't always the best. Even still we respect them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. (laughs) Do you have any desire? To fulfill the command to be holy even as I am holy. One of the ways that that happens is when trials come into your life. that You say, I receive this Lord. And you know what? A lot of us are good at doing that early on. Or maybe after we've had the blow and we finally get a little perspective. But when it goes on and on and on and on, it's more difficult. For the moment, verse 11 says, and this is but a moment. 
Don't you remember being in the midst of trials that felt like they went on forever? And now you look back and it's hardly, it's just like it was a short time. What's it going to be like in eternity? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, in all of this, none of us had perfect parents, but you get the point. Our heavenly father is perfect. He is bringing about the sweet fruit of the spirit in your life. Be patient. Yield to his loving hand even though it is painful right now. This season's not going to last forever. You have all eternity To rejoice without pain or fear of an ounce more trouble, sickness, persecution, rejection. We've got all eternity. And God is shaping us and preparing us for eternity. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why? No, it look, He's God. He's He thinks differently and bigger than we do. We're called to trust Him. And when we trust, how about your kids? When they trust you, does life generally go better for them? We're not close to being the kind of perfect father that he is. And he brings us into this beautiful place when we believe him and we yield to him. As his beloved child, allow God to bring the seed that he has planted in your heart And to fully ripe and sweet fruit. In addition to bringing great glory to the father who sent his son to die. In order that we might live forever. We will be a blessing to the world that will not occur. If the fruit of our lives is sour. Or if it's a sweet burst but then nothing. Let him do his work. You Never imagined you would have to endure what you have been called to endure. You never realized that anything could be so, so painful. And you never, you especially never dreamed that anything so painful could yield such beauty and sweetful, sweet fruit. I do that, make up words, sweet, sweetful and beaut. Beautiful and sweet fruit. Turns out that the father knows what he's doing after all. Our job is just to trust. We're called to receive whatever he brings into our lives. I'm in a place in my life where it's pretty good right now. I went through a long time where it wasn't good at all. And I like to think... Well, my time is done. I, you know, the Lord brought me through that. Not for a second can we think that everything is going to be all right until we see Jesus. But when we do, we will thank him for the ways that he brought us through the difficulties and what he did through those difficulties 
for us. Absolutely, we are free to use all of the resources at our disposal. But isn't it interesting how so often when you've got the opportunity to make a difference in the trial that you're going through, that you're trying to manage it and you're stressed and you're flustered, and then you reach a point where there's nothing you can do and you just sit and rest, and there's this incredibly calm peace that comes over you. Wouldn't it be great that even as we are seeking to employ the resources that we're not depending on them, that our faith and our trust is in Him? And that we learn to rest even as we work, even as we suffer. When we rest in the Father's plan for our lives, even though it's entirely different than what we, have, we would have chosen for ourselves, and even though it involves pain that seems to be from the ungodly actions of others, when we trust Him, we affirm our faith that the peaceful fruit of righteousness is being formed in our lives. That's what we want, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Let's pray. Father, we are prone to think in this 21st century that our lives are only meaningful if we're able to do and accomplish the things that we want to do. When in reality, the truth is that our lives are only meaningful because you love us. And because you are calling us to be conformed to the image of your son. And oh, what great beauty and purpose there is in that. Lord, would you give us the grace to endure? Would you give us the rest and the peace in our hearts that is not going to come from within us? We're not Stoics. We're not called to be Stoics. We're called to rest and trust that you're doing a beautiful thing. One day we are going to rejoice with unabandoned fervor. We're going to cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the Lamb who sits on the throne, worthy is He. May we start early. May we do that now. Father, we acknowledge by faith that the discipline you administer in our lives is a good and beautiful thing. We thank you for the love that your discipline confirms in our hearts and our lives. We love you. And rest in you, in Jesus' name.